Welcome to the Basic Income Podcast. I'm Owen Poindexter. And I'm Jim Pugh. So for this week's episode, we're actually going to be responding to a listener question. We've talked in the past about what things basic income will and won't solve, but we had a request to actually look at certain moments in history and really explore how might those moments have looked different if we actually already had a universal basic income when that occurred. So one obvious but worth stating caveat here is that we don't know. You know, the history could have gone any different number of paths, but I think it's worth thinking about what a basic income, how it might affect the future by looking at some specific events in the past. Right. We can hypothesize all day about what this might do going forward, but when we have concrete events in the past, it allows us to look back and really think about how might things have been different if this were there at that point. So the first one we want to take a look at is ecological disasters. The California wildfires, the hurricanes that have hit various parts of the East Coast in recent years, how might those occurrences and the aftermath have looked different if we already had universal basic income in the US. So, Owen, what do you think? Well, we often say about basic income that it won't solve any problem, but it makes everything easier to solve. And when we're talking about ecological disasters, it would do nothing to to prevent them, but will make the effects of them a lot easier to handle for the people affected. So we recently had the kind of horrible example of this with the uh, campfire in California that decimated the town of Paradise, killed 86 people. And I think one important reference point is that most of the damage happened in the first four hours. So it's not like having a little extra money would have caused less damage here. But then you think about what happens after with, with all those people who they may not have homes or they may need to stay somewhere else for a while. They may need some basic supplies. And having a little bit of money come in, you, you can imagine, and we have some good evidence from GiveDirectly's work in the wake of Hurricane Harvey, that it makes a huge difference just to have a little bit of cash just to cover your basic needs. Because maybe you get food and shelter through volunteer organizations, through aid organizations, but you might need diapers, you might need medication. You, there's a, then you have a, a whole list of things, five through 100, that are not necessarily going to be covered by those groups. Right. And we talked a bit about this when we discussed Dolly Parton's initiative in response to the Tennessee wildfires, but the fact that the reaction to people receiving cash support there and, and what it did for their lives seemed quite positive. That suggests if, if people were receiving this unconditional cash already, that would be a huge help and does go a level beyond those in-kind supports that you most typically receive in those situations. I think beyond that, just thinking about what a universal basic income would do broadly for resilience, because it is, even, even with a cash response to disaster, it's still something where people don't know they have that from the get-go. If you just lost everything in a fire, I mean, hopefully someone, some organization will come in and, and provide you with the support you need, but when is that going to happen? How much is it going to be? Will it actually come through? Those are all questions people have to worry about immediately which has a huge toll, I think, both mentally and physically on, on people's well-being. And so if, if we already had a universal basic income, that's a situation where everyone would know immediately, oh, I still have this baseline. Uh, and obviously, some people may still be able to continue with their jobs. But I mean, you have to imagine that's been severely disrupted as well. And so that this would just be something that, that did give you that, that greater peace of mind and, and 
resilient strength to be able to figure out what's next. Yeah, and you think about the responses to these disasters, and there's a ton of attention in the first couple weeks, maybe the first month, but after that, you, you kind of, you don't hear about them anymore, and, and the response is, it doesn't continue on with that same level of urgency, because the urgency itself has has faded, but the people may still be in some pretty dire need. It's also easy to think about some of these situations as one-offs. Like, sure, it would be helpful to give some people cash in these extraordinary circumstances. But it's important to recognize that these extraordinary circumstances, one, are, if anything, going to get more frequent as climate change gets more and more apparent in our lives. And two, there are lots of small but you know, hugely impactful on a micro level circumstances like one house burns down not an entire town or you know someone loses their job or all all sorts of things in medical emergencies and we're not going to be able to respond to those on a specific level but again if we have a universal basic income it makes those individual shocks a lot easier to handle i also think that there's some interesting implications around the question of deservedness and disaster response because right now you do have whatever aid is being given is conditional on, on something. And so do you give the money to everyone who lost where they live or only people who lost places they own? Or does that amount vary? And if we had a universal basic income, then you're ensuring everyone's getting it. So you don't end up having to come out of this disaster also being worried about like, oh, like, did I actually, did my life get upended enough to warrant me receiving the support I need. Yeah, it's one of those things where if you're doing a selective program, you have to draw a line somewhere, and that line is going to be fairly arbitrary, and there's going to be people who you miss one way or another and who could have really used the cash. I also do think that this is maybe going a bit far out there, but in thinking about could basic income have some role in preventing these in the first place, if, for example, you think about the Green New Deal that's being discussed right now, as this radically large way of combating climate change going forward. If something like that, if you think about how that might have been undertaken in the past, if we lived in a country where we had and where we had passed universal basic income, maybe it would have been that much easier to then say, all right, now we're ready to tackle large-scale climate change. And so if you have a population that is feeling fully empowered, and ready to go on, on bigger, bold undertakings, maybe that means that we could have made a lot more progress towards preventing climate change over recent years and decades if, if we'd had this in the past. And so this is obviously very speculative, but I do wonder whether, and I don't know if it's caused by or just connected to, but being able to have universal basic income, if that does get us in a better place as far as being able to tackle big things like climate change. Yeah, we are drifting off into more speculative territory here, but a big argument you hear against action that would mitigate climate change is that it will hurt the economy in some way. You know, If you put a, a price on fuel or carbon, you make energy more expensive, whatever, that's going to hurt the economy and we can't afford to do that right now. People are hurting already, et cetera, et cetera. And I think the Green New Deal is one response to that where this is creating jobs. A carbon dividend is a, a, perhaps on the other side of that where you would be putting a price on carbon but then just giving that money back and most people would gain money in that scenario. And I, I think you're right that we would maybe be a little more willing to address what is pretty clearly a very major problem in the globe, perhaps the major problem worldwide, uh, if people felt 
just a bit more economically comfortable. All right, so we're going to jump to a, a very different topic, and that is mass incarceration in the United States, something that has a long and unfortunate history. And how would basic income, if it would have, uh, changed our history of mass incarceration? So I think that there's a lot to unpack here. First, for any listeners who aren't as familiar with the history of incarceration in the U.S., we have seen over the past 50 years just a massive increase in our prison population. In 1971, there was about 200,000 people in jail in the U.S. That number is over 1.5 million now. So it has grown at a staggering rate relative to how much our population has increased. And that doesn't seem to be at all correlated with an increase in actual rates of crime. This is because our we as a country have pursued policies that end up imprisoning people far, far more often. So I think that there's two different directions you can look at this from. The first is, would if we had basic income, would our history of pushing for more incarceration have looked different? And the second is, if we had basic income, even with that more aggressive move towards incarceration, might the basic income have made a difference around what actually happened as far as people being arrested. I think on the latter, we actually have some pretty good evidence to suggest that we would have potentially quite a few fewer people in prison today if, if we had basic income. And that's because we actually do have studies showing that basic income leads to lower crime. In Namibia in 2002, there was a pilot of basic income that looked at overall crime rates amongst people receiving basic income and those not. And what they saw was a 42% drop amongst the, the region where basic income was, was being provided uh, over a control region that wasn't receiving this. And if you look at other research around crime and poverty, this makes perfect sense because those two things are tied together very, very closely. People in poverty commit crime more often, which, I mean, intuitively, this seems kind of obvious. Like, if you don't have enough to get by, of course you're more likely to go outside the bounds of the law to try to figure out your path forward because you don't have another option. And so I think that in thinking about what this would do as far as people committing crimes in the first place, there's very strong reason to think that there would be a significant reduction. Yeah, my mind goes in two directions when I think about this general topic of basic income and mass incarceration. And one is that you know, a lot of what you said, it would make people more resilient, you know, perhaps less inclined to commit crimes because there'd be less economic need to do so. Um, you would also see, you know, when when someone is incarcerated, perhaps they'd be more able to pay off their bail. Um, if they have a partner who's economically dependent on them, they're less likely to get evicted. And that's kind of the other side of mass incarceration is the families left behind by them are often uh, struggling in, in different ways, uh, even if they're not incarcerated. I'd also throw in that you'd see more political empowerment. It's generally the least enfranchised people in our society who tend to be the ones who get are getting locked up. And so perhaps giving them some, some economic flexibility would, would help with that. So that's one direction. The other place where my mind goes is that incarceration wasn't just something that happened, it was a political agenda. I associated uh, most strongly with the Nixon administration, but it picked up by the Reagan administration and the Clinton administration. And you know, it's a pretty solid through line in our recent history. And 
if your agenda is to criminalize people of color, which you know is something that ex Nixon aides have said pretty explicitly was what what they were doing, and you know the, the we have the whole um, history of the welfare queen um, narrative through the Reagan administration. If that's your agenda, then you are going to adjust your laws and your policing practices to fit the society that you're working with. And if people are more empowered through their basic income, then perhaps the response on the criminalization end of that will take it into account. You know, they'll raise bail rates. They'll find other ways to criminalize people. So it's one of those things where we don't we don't know. And I think a basic income would almost certainly make people more resilient at the same time the people in power were doing what they were doing for a reason. Yeah, I think that's a really important point that even if we were to have basic income, that that Southern strategy, that using race to divide people in, in order to gain political advantage, there's no reason to think that would have gone away. So yeah, I I am very I'm very unsure as to as to whether this would have made a difference on the policy front. Um, my hope would be that if we were providing people with those basic needs, then that would mean there's fewer fewer stories that could be cherry picked by the media, by politicians who are who are aiming to push this division, and so it effectively makes their job harder in pushing this quote unquote law and order agenda that's that's actually just about locking up poor people in communities of color. But I, I don't know. It's, I think it's really, really hard to say on that front. One more thing I think is important to throw in there is that it puts a lot of pressure on the question of who gets a basic income. A lot of people, when you bring up basic income, just assume that felons wouldn't get it. If you're in prison, you don't get your basic income. I would be on the other side of that debate. But if we did have either within states or countrywide that you're in prison, you don't get your basic income, that puts a an incentive to lock people up. Mm-hmm. And again, we, we don't know how, how this would have been, and it depends on what scenario we're talking about, but it, it makes me nervous just thinking about that. Yeah, I mean, right now, a, a big issue around criminal justice is the fines and fees, as it's called, which is looking at the ways that... I mean, it basically amounts to criminalizing poverty. It's when someone is arrested for potentially an incredibly minor infraction, they, beyond being charged whatever that crime is, are forced or the state attempts to force them to pay all these additional things on top of that as a means of funding the department that is running this. And when people can't pay it, they get hit with extra penalties. So whether that's more fines or eventually jail time, you end up in this vicious spiral. And I think that's certainly an area where basic income can make a big difference because if it's ensuring that you are, you have that basis to be able to, to cover those outrageous fees, which to be clear, we should be getting rid of in the first place. Uh, this would, in, in that case, basic income is really more of a band-aid for a broken other part of the system, but it's an area that's really, really hurting people right now that having some extra financial stability would make a big difference on. The one other area I think it's important to note is what this might do for recidivism. So people who are returning from prison and trying to build a new life and the depressingly high rate of those folks ending up back in prison. And we, 
everything about this suggests that the reason that this is happening for the most part is because we are not giving these people a real path forward once they're emerging from prison. We say, okay, you're out, go get back on your feet. But the difficulty in getting a job, the stigma that comes with having ever been in prison is so high that people are effectively forced to turn to illegal activities as a way to try to make ends meet. And so I think that's yet another area where if, if we were ensuring economic security for those folks, that gives them a much, much better shot. And so I, 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 would, I would expect a, a big difference on, in that area if, if we had a UBI. Yeah, I, I think that is one area where you can be sure that, again, we, we need more systemic fixes to this issue, but by providing some economic security, you, you know, you hear all these people say, well, you can learn to code, you can, you know, get an entry level job and work your way up. And it's like, well, you know, ha have you actually talked to these people who are, are struggling with in this way? Um, and yeah, I think we would just be giving people something of a real chance to get back on their feet after being in the prison system. So for our last moment in history that we want to look at through the lens of how might this have been different with basic income? is the 2016 elections. And obviously, this is a big one. Owen, what do you think? So, yeah, let, let me start by saying that, again, we don't know, but the 2016 election was so close that it's pretty easy to take your pet cause and say, if my if the thing that I care about had been enacted, then things would have been different. And there's a good chance you're right, because it was, I think, 100, under 100,000 votes across three states that swung the election uh, from Clinton to Trump. And if we think about a, a world, the United States, with basic income, you have many fewer people who are economically stressed. And I think a lot of what Trump was able to play into in, in his election was that, that people are longing for this time when a middle-class lifestyle was just very available in America and that you didn't have to worry so much about your economic life. Maybe you want things to be different. Maybe you want a bigger house or to, to move to a better area, but you're doing okay. And I think so many people feel like they're just constantly on the edge or a little bit over the edge. So I think there is a case to be made that the election would have gone the other way had we had a basic income, but there's plenty more to unpack there. So this one's tricky for me. I actually think to start with, it's important to take a step back and, and really dig in on what actually happened during the election. Because I know that my initial interpretation as to what motivated people to vote for Trump looks quite a bit different than my view right now. So since the election, there's been a number of analysis looking at who Trump voters were and what their motivation was. And what it seems to be is it's not a economic one. That's being on the edge wasn't actually associated with more people voting for Trump. Rather, it was loss of status. People who saw themselves as more senior in society in the past and don't see themselves as high status now. And this is in particular in comparison to other ethnic groups. And that's, I think, where you get the racial motivations come into play, that when people are, are seeing these other groups around the country that they feel like are getting ahead while they're falling behind, that was a huge motivator for people to vote for Trump. So what does that mean for what basic income might do? If we're just talking about the economic security, I'm not convinced that would actually have made all that much of a difference. I mean, as you say, the results are so close, maybe if we generally made people a bit more secure, 
that would have been enough to swing it. But I don't necessarily believe that that would have had a massive impact on what the outcome was if we're just looking at the economic side. But I think what is interesting to explore more here is what are the broader cultural narrative implications of a country with basic income? Because if we assume that along with giving people their regular cash payments, we've also cultivated a, a new social narrative that we are building towards a better future as a country, that this is how we're actually going to lift all ourselves up together, that I could see potentially being a very effective counter to this divided view of I'm not getting ahead because someone else is getting ahead more. And if the people who, at least some of the people who voted for Trump, actually felt more included in, in that sort of broad narrative, maybe that would have caused them to think differently about how they voted. Yeah, it's obviously a very tricky topic. But when you talk about loss of status, I feel like there is an obvious economic element to that. And when you have this scarcity mentality and perhaps one informed by you know, jobs being precarious, your economic livelihood being precarious, then yeah, if there's this sense of we've got to like band together, this like small tribal group and fend off the other tribes and with obvious racial implications there, then I think someone like Trump's message with, you know, build the wall and make America great again, well, like great for who and when was America great, um, that I feel like that has a lot more resonance and perhaps a more uplifting forward-looking narrative has more purchase when you have some level of economic security. I feel like it gets fairly hand-wavy at that point, but I also think that people with authoritarian tendencies, which I absolutely think Trump has, have more of an appeal when people are feeling less secure about their future. And if you know you're getting a thousand bucks a month, hopefully chained to inflation going forward, then maybe you're willing to be a little more flexible with your thinking about the future. Does that swing the election? I don't know. <laughs> no one knows. But, uh, but it's, I, I feel like it, the election was so close that maybe it would have. I think a lot of it comes down to are people in a scarcity mentality or are they in an abundance mentality? Because, I mean, typically we talk about that solely in the context of financial economics perspectives. But I think that's, that's, there's a worldview aspect of that. Do you actually believe that we're in a zero-sum game and that for you to get ahead, it means someone else has to fall behind? Or do you believe that the world we live in is one where actually there is enough out there and that there's many, many things we can be doing that allows everyone to get farther ahead? And I think that's, that is the shift that I feel like has, I mean, implications across the board, really, as far as how people live their lives. But I am actually, I, I'll go out on a limb and say I'm quite confident if we had a country with much more of an abundance mindset, we would not have elected Trump. Yeah, I, I would have to agree. And I don't think he gets out of the Republican primary, at least not with how he campaigned. And Eric, feel free to cut this part. But um, um, when I think about the broader project of basic income or what basic income is a piece of the puzzle for? I mean, first, my thoughts go toward you know eliminating poverty and just making people's lives easier and better on a very fundamental level. 
But zooming out, I think about things like shortening the work week or just allowing people to determine their own destiny a little bit more, having a more of a sense of community because people have the bandwidth for that. And I think basic income, if not a sufficient component of, the, of what we need to get there is probably necessary or something that that ensures some amount of security going forward. And I just think cash is by far the easiest way to do that. All right. That'll do it for this episode of the Basic Income Podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you to our producer, Eric Davidson. And if you like what you hear, please do make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or the podcast service of your choice. And if you have other ideas for episodes, feel free to post at us on Twitter. You can post at Universal Income Project, U-I-P-R-O-J, or Owen Poindexter, or myself, Jim Pugh, D-R underscore Pugh. Thanks, and we'll talk to you next time.